Welcome to Mac and Cheese Music Podcast with your hosts, Brian DeHart. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for listening. I'm super excited and honored to have today's guest on the Mac and Cheese Music Podcast, Seattle, Washington's own Sean Fairchild. And man, what a list of accolades. Sean is endorsed by Gensler Amplification, MTD Bases, GHS Strings, Tsunami Cables, Access Bags and Cases, Bartolini Electronics, Sonic Nuance Electronics, and is also a writer for Bass Magazine. <laughs> oh yeah, Sean teaches private bass lessons, is an administrator for Bass Northwest, which is a Facebook group, and is in the next couple of weeks releasing an album project. Holy cow, is this guy busy. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You and me both, pal. No, I mean it. Hey, thanks for listening, and here we go. Play it again, Bry. All right, everybody, welcome. It's Mac and Cheese. Brian here at Mac and Cheese with Sean Fairchild. Hello, Mac and Cheese audience. Yeah, Sean Fairchild has huge amount of accolades, which you heard at the beginning, the intro of the podcast. Um, so we brought in Sean today to talk about his r- latest release and the process that he went through in developing that album. Sean, I'm going to turn it over to you to say a little bit. Thank you very much, Brian. Yeah, so uh, my artist's name is Combinator. That's that's generally what I put music out under. And this album is called Ear Goggle Fodder. It's a very difficult thing to say fast. <laughs> As ear, a couple of ear friends. goggle fodder, ear goggle fodder, ear goggle fodder, fodder, ear goggle fodder, <laughs> ear goggle fodder. There was sort of an ear goggle fodder challenge on on my Instagram uh, account that, that didn't really go anywhere. But I was, if you hear this and feel like you know getting a free album, just make a video of yourself saying that a bunch of times fast. <laughs> Is that all it takes? That's all it takes. I mean, yeah, we want to see who can do it either the fastest or the most. And actually, it's I mean the the bar is pretty high. Like the bar right now, it's up to like 12 times or 15 times or something. Really? Yeah, I got a friend who really who's actually a contributor on the album. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, shout out to God Cloud, Philip Coleman, aka God Cloud. He's a he's a finger drummer among other things, but he's Tabla? doing Uh no, actually no, well that actually that's what that sounds like, right? But that's um this is a new sort of a new breed of electronic drumming. It's real time drumming on like an MPC, like an, an, an Akai MPC pad, right? Uh, but with your fingers. So instead of using sticks in a kit, you're in real time. You're doing stuff with all ten digits and oh, making brother, different sounds. And, wow! Yeah, it's really cool. He's really he's great on it. He's on I think three tracks on the album. Really? Yeah. So now, when you when you did the album, so he was he was did real time finger drum tracks. That's right. With samples. That's right. Yeah. So and wow. I think all of the all of the stuff that uh, that I used from him was all uh, sounded electronic, but he also does sort of acoustic sounding stuff, also sure. like acoustic drum stuff. It just depends on what what sample pack I guess he's using and, and what he's going for. But, uh, I mean, he's an incredible artist. And actually, <laughs> I just found out that he's a really super skilled bass player. And I, I feel like he just never mentioned it, which is which is ironic, you know, like knowing that he's, you know, he's contributing to this sort of not it's not really a solo bass record, but definitely like a bass featuring record. Absolutely. And he never uh, he never mentioned it. And I <laughs> I started seeing these videos on his his Instagram. Instagram account and uh, he's yeah he's really exceptional and he also plays guitar 
I think he sings or raps. He does he does a bunch of stuff. He's a very talented dude. So what's his first name? His name is Philip Coleman, and his artist name is God Cloud. God Cloud. Yeah, pretty great. <laughs> God, God Cloud. Yeah. Interesting. Taking that tabla concept and using it electronically, it makes yeah, it does make sense. I haven't thought about that. The the tabla connection or and all the other sort of. Um, uh, drumming styles like that, like the the Moroccan. Uh, there's a Moroccan drum that you right. play sort of with your fingertips. That's exactly too. right. Can't think of what that one's called, but uh, me either. Yeah, I, I should say before I forget too, because I got off on a tangent that the album comes out on well, November twentieth. That's right. And, um, and how are you going to be able to access that album? November twentieth, you won't be able to get away from it. It'll be everywhere. <laughs> it'll be you'll dream of it at night. It'll it'll be uh, it, you know it'll be everywhere. It'll be on Spotify, uh, Google. It'll be on Xbox Music, Amazon Prime, iTunes, everywhere. Holy you can crud. if you want to support me in a little bit more direct way. You can go to combinator.bandcamp.com and purchase it there. Uh, but you'll be able to purchase it in all of your favorite spots. And there's a pre-sale on November 6th, Friday, November 6th, on iTunes and Bandcamp. And right now you can actually pre-order it on Bandcamp, uh, and you'll get one of the tracks that hasn't been released yet. You'll get that right away, and then you'll get notified when the rest of the tracks get released. And, uh, yeah, and you can make sure that you don't miss it. Make sure you don't forget. Wow, that's really, that's super cool. So I have actually a ton of questions. Oh, good. And and, uh, I'm famous for non sequiturs and going off into different oh, man. tangents. Me too. This is like this is the way I teach too. Like I, I write a lesson plan for every student, and usually by the end of the lesson, we're totally, you know, totally off the rails. Well, you know, that's a, that's that's pretty cool though. So you allow your students to do some investigating. So we're just. Really quickly, yeah. just some quick background as far yes. as your bass playing, your uh, uh, your musical history, and also the fact that you give lessons. Yeah, um, boy, that's a lot to condense into a quick. <laughs> quick well, I, I've got um, uh, the reason. One of the reasons I have Sean here is because he's insanely articulate. So you really, <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I tend to talk a little too much. So you'll have no, to no, that's all right, man. Stop me if I no, if I get too long winded. Somebody stop me. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I've been playing bass for twenty six years. Um, it's it's kind of become the, uh, the the focal point of my professional life. Um, I say professional because uh, I don't want my wife and daughter to get jealous and upset. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I have to be very careful about balancing time and things. Uh, but it's really become kind of my my raison d'être. You know, it's become kind of like the 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 thing that I do that I want to you know invest most of my time in and towards mastering. And you know, mastery never really you never really arrive there. You just kind of keep driving. Um, but yeah, I've been playing for a long time. Uh, I've been teaching for about half of that amount of time. Uh, played with a number of bands uh, professionally. I, I kind of started as as, as most a, a lot of musicians do, just sort of doing original stuff, playing in, in bands in which I was a member, until I breached until I kind of got into the the session and uh, for higher player circuit and world. I've been doing that for the last several years and I really miss doing my original stuff so I'm happy to be back doing it again. And um, and Combinator actually started out as a as a three-piece band uh, with two other musicians who over time just kind of went separate ways. I was always the I was always the the songwriter and the singer and and the the front person and kind of dealt with most of the business. So it was kind of a natural 
progression that after those guys got busy doing other things, um, I just kind of uh, took over the the reins more, I guess, and and just started using it as a as a vehicle for the ideas that I had, um, and kind of went a slightly different direction with it. Mm-hmm. That's that's some of the background. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, conceptually, wh- what is the album about? That's a that's a really great question. I think uh, so. We're recording this in October of 2020, and what a shitty year it's been. <laughs> you it's know? been weird. What, what a lousy yeah. year it's been. Uh, so I think that that has that has filtered in. That has seeped in for sure. Um, the themes of the album are kind of. Uh, uh, like questioning, there's a there's a notion of questioning your purpose, uh, trying to figure out what what your life is for. Um, there there are there's sort of bittersweet and melancholy elements as well as there are you know sort of joyous elements. Um, and then by the end, the, there's a song on there called Chorus and a Jam, and uh, and at the end it's sort of. Uh, it comes kind of full circle, and the, the the refrain is "This is my voice, and this is how I use it." And it's sort of like an arrival at um, self assuredness and uh, inner strength and stuff like that, and kind of um, being aware of what you like and what you do, and leaning into that. So that's that's kind of that's kind of I guess it in a nutshell <laughs> I don't know how how nutshelly that really is it's saying a lot about it but um, yeah it's got a lot of uh, a lot of drum and bass elements I'm heavily influenced by drum and bass specifically by a really brilliant composer and musician named square pusher uh, from England uh, so it's got a lot of that sort of feel um, it's got a lot of progressive elements both Progressive rock, progressive uh, metal, I think, in parts, you could say. Progressive neo-soul has kind of a neo-soul feel. Um, half, of the, half of the tracks are instrumental and half of them have vocals. Very, very interesting. One of the things we wanted to do was uh, just offer some snippets of like four of your favorite songs cool. off of the project. Excellent. So what, what first song did you want to start with? Ah, well, you want that we want to reveal to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I think um, the album order kind of makes sense in some ways. So let's start with Juggernaut, which is okay. the first track on the album. Okay. It's one that I'm really, really proud of. Actually, I, I know it's not like very cool to say that as an artist. Uh, actually, but, no, hey, I'm it really is proud actually, of what I did. Actually, you should be proud of what you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm kind of proud of it. Not only uh, I, I'm happy with 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 what I did on it, but one of the reasons I'm so proud is that it has two of my favorite musician friends that, that I play with here locally that I played with uh, in three other bands with. Um, and they're just absolutely virtuosic. I mean, they, they definitely blow me away and like, you know, are, are above my, you know, out of my league. Um, but yeah, Morgan Wick on guitar, who's just this incredible prog metal shredding god. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and Josh Kosak on drums, who is like the the equal shredding god but um sort of in more he just can play everything i guess he's more about um soul and gospel and funk and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um uh, 
but definitely rock also. I mean, he's just kind of all over the place. And then this track also has God Cloud on it, doing some of his finger drumming in the background. It's, and it's layering all these different things. So I'm really, really excited and really happy with what those guys did on the song and with the song, with very little direction from me. Uh, and then I'm really happy with how the layering all worked out with electronic drums that I programmed, acoustic drums that Josh played, finger drumming stuff that God Cloud did, uh, you know, and then just all these cool textures and tones from guitar and bass. And this is one of the instrumental ones. Interesting. So as far as the concept, you just presented this and then you let everybody have free reign? Essentially, yeah. I had it, There's there's three main parts to the song. There's sort of an A and a B and a C section. And, um, and I have, uh, I had rhythmic parts and melodies. So... I presented those uh, to to the guys and suggested like here in this part where where the bass is busy maybe don't be so busy there and then this other part you know I'm playing much more of a supportive role so here get busy here and I want to hear an incredible solo you know here from you and that's the other thing is this song has just two of the best solos I've not only ever heard but ever been uh, involved in a in a recording with so there's a there's an incredible uh, mind-blowing guitar solo and an equally mind-blowing drum solo on very, it very cool and yeah. yeah those guys are just just killer. So you have some really interesting concepts in the way that you put your voices across a mix. And if you're dealing with, which sounds like three very busy drum parts, how do you how do you layer those things and place them so they do not get in the way of each other? That's a good question. I, I think I'm still <clears throat> I think I'm still figuring it out. But what I've been what I've been doing is um, panning stuff. I tend to pan different drum tracks, hard left and hard right, which I think is, um, you know, maybe academically speaking, not supposed to sound good. Uh, you know, to have one completely different drum part. Just uh, as as I have been saying, and a lot of my guests have been saying, there are no rules. That's true. If it works. It works. That's all that matters. It's a good point. I tell students that all the time, but I'm really bad at taking my own <laughs> my own medicine. But yeah, so I'll pan stuff really hard, one direction, and and I'll and I and I I'm not afraid to use. I'm not afraid to say, kind of in in the in the spirit of trying to. Um, you know, go for stream of consciousness composing and, and kind of being quick with things uh, without being uh, like dismissive of the importance of an element i'm not afraid to say that i'll use you know i'll use like drum samples i'll use you know something that i think sounds really cool here because i also have a real influence from uh, from from the world of hip-hop and, and i like the idea of of samples frankly right so i'll pan stuff hard left and everything that i use whether i programmed it or it's a sample you know it'll have a certain sonic envelope it'll have certain a certain low barrier a certain low end where things kind of cut off and a certain high end where things cut off uh, so just being aware of of the sonic space that something takes up um, I'll put something contrastive on the other side so I'll pan that all the way so there might be a really um, a, a really low end uh, uh, well like a drum and bass sort of thing with with really low uh, 
<laughs> what am I trying to say here? Really little low-end content. Okay. Because a lot of drum and bass stuff or, or jungle stuff, in order to, to be that fast, in order to be kind of that percussive, um, cuts out a lot of the low frequencies, and then right. sort of the bass instruments take over that zone. So I'll put something like that on the left side, then I'll put something more full range or something that sounds more more vintage with a lot of low mids and not as many highs on the right side. And they can be completely different patterns um, as long as I like the polyrhythms that get made when they get summed together in the center. Interesting. I love that term vintage Vintage-y. Yeah, define vintage Vintage-y. vintage to me is uh, <clears throat> there's definitely a mid-range character that I think of as, as vintage a, a mid-range focus that doesn't go as low and doesn't go as high as modern recordings. That's what I think of as, as vintage So you it's a hear, tonality that you're thinking of. It's a tonality for me, yeah, more than a style or anything. It's a, it's a sound. And I think a really great example of that, even though it's, it's not a vintage record, Although, geez, we're getting older now, and this record's not 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 so new anymore. <laughs> well, but yeah, it's it's almost three months old, right? So it's, <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, the 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 Jamiroquai album, "Traveling Without Moving." I really love that band. I love yeah. the first incarnation of that band, which is still there on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, that that album to me has a very vintage uh, drum and bass. Uh, t- tone to it so that that's kind of what i think of it's I kind think of, of their like, style isn't it i mean it, it, I, it I, was it was yeah. it's, it's sort of morphed and changed it's gotten a lot more disco-y and i don't i don't really like the stuff that happened after after Stuart zender left the band but but in those early recordings there's this sort of you know bass drum sound that's really punchy uh, and the punch doesn't live in the really low frequencies. No. It's, in a, it's in a higher, like, low-mid frequency. Um, but it's also very dull-sounding. There's not much attack. There's no air at all. Um, the snares are kind of, you know, sounds like there's a blanket over them or mm-hmm. something. So it's this sort of, like, all-mid-range-focused punchiness that's not subby. It, it doesn't have that that dub sort of, you know, low-end low end extension. And it doesn't have a lot of... It doesn't have too much crack or air or something like that. That's what I think of as like a vintage kind That's a great description. Oh, thanks. It really is, yeah. I, what I What I like about having the drums like that, that allows the bass to cover a lot more of the low end. Yeah, it's weird. You know, it's really um, it's different than than how I have uh, how I've gone about it. I, I guess I was always kind of taught, or or I mostly use drums and bass in a way that that the bass sits above. The drums. Well, it sits above the bass drum. So mm-hmm. when I mix my own stuff and I'm, I'm programming my own stuff, I'm usually I usually make the bass drum the lowest thing, and I and I low pass the no sorry I high pass the bass above that point. There you are getting technical. Yeah. Correctly technical. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'll cut out those frequencies of the bass guitar or or of a low of a low instrument that might. Uh, conflict with the bass drum stuff. I'll just just cut those out completely. So, um, but that's not the only way to do it. Like you're saying, like you can have that sort of more mid-range focused punchy drum thing, and you can have deeper bass that's not so active in the same part of the mid-range, um, kind of coming in, swooping in below that below that bass drum sound, and then also kind of coming in above that. Uh, you know, with with some some more air to the strings. Yeah, I really dig your dig your take on that. I mean, it's it's really interesting the concepts that we embrace individually and 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 the rules that we think we should adhere by, or else it's not us. It's not the identifying marker, right? Yeah, I guess so.
And the next song you wanted to talk about? The next song. Let's pick something that hasn't gotten a lot of uh, a lot of focus, a lot of attention. Let's do um, let's do one called Hespira. That's a that's a Portuguese word for. Thank you. I was yeah. just going to ask you. Uh, by the way. Um, Sean is fluent in five different languages. Oh, so. well, no. I, I can't, I can't, I wish I could claim that I was fluent. I have studied five languages. I was a big language geek. I grew up overseas and I studied <laughs> linguistics in college. And aside from music, is the only thing that I ever had even like a little bit of skill in. Yeah. So, which isn't to say a lot, but uh, yeah, I speak most of them very poorly, including English. And, <laughs> but, but I've at least, I've at least looked into, I've studied, you know five different ones. So this one is a Portuguese word. My wife is from Sao Paulo. Um, and this word means breathe. It's just the word for breathe. Uh, and that just kind of, I named it after the song was done. Um, cause that's kind of, it's kind of what I thought It's the vibe that I got from it. And also, um, the vibe for where I wanted to put it in terms of, um, its place in the album. So it kind of, I wanted to put it exactly halfway. It's a little bit earlier than halfway. I think it is track number four mm -hmm. out of 10. Uh, but it kind of separates the album. There's kind of two, almost two main different um, sides or feels to, to the album. The, the first three songs have a lot of energy and excitement. And they all have, uh, well, they don't all have singing, but two of the three of them do. Um, the back half of the album has a different feel. This album is actually Sean Fairchild's version of Led Zeppelin three. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny you should say that. There's a Led Zeppelin cover on the album. Very cool. Yeah, the yeah. Led Zeppelin song "No Quarter." Mm -hmm. uh, oh shoot, now I can't. I can't remember what album that's off of. I think it's off of four. four it's a four or five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right? yeah, um, yeah. I've always really, really loved that song. We'll do that one later. So I'll save. I'll save my. My cover thing, for the last my talking about that later. Okay, yeah. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, Hispira. Um, it's a it's a quick little track. I think it's two minutes long, or it's two and a half minutes. It's mm -hmm. very. It, I almost envisioned it as an interlude, and that's kind of what it's supposed to be. It's it's kind of like a like a meditation, and it's all um, it's very pretty, very calm um, harmonics. It's like three different tracks of sort of. Sort of, maybe somebody would say Jaco Pistoriusy kind of harmonics, but nothing fancy, nothing flashy. Um, it's just just that sound of of playing these harmonics that are kind of bell like, and it's a four bar phrase I think that just that just repeats, and it's kind of bittersweet, but I think it's mostly happy sounding. And things kind of grow and swell, and then my whole drum and bass jungle side kind of <laughs> swells in right in the middle, and we get these like three or four different um, really, really cool drum patterns that merge into this amazing uh, polyrhythmic, you know, and sort of create this polyphonic thing. And that happens kind of in this big arc that, that reaches its apex right in the middle. And then they kind of go away, and then the the harmonics kind of fade out over time, and it's just sort of like a palate cleansing, right? You know. Did you do that with your six string? Yeah, actually, I recorded the whole album with with this this six string MTD bass. It's an MTD 
635-24. These guys actually endorse you, right? That's right, yeah. Or I endorse them. But I guess it goes both ways. Mutual. But yeah, they're incredible instruments. Uh, Michael Tobias design, uh, which is just imminently being taken over by uh, by the son, Daniel mm-hmm. Tobias. And of course, um, if there are any bass players out there listening to this, Tobias instruments were really popular in the late 80s and the 90s. Uh, that brand was sold to Gibson in the early 90s, and Gibson produced them for a while. Um, I had three of those, loved them. Mm-hmm. Went went to other places, you know, for 15 years or so, and then came back to playing these these MTDs, which are the current incarnation of what they make, and they're just the best instruments that I've ever played, um, by far. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I recorded pretty much this whole album with my main my main playing bass, and I get really specific, really personal about the instruments I use. Uh, I've never been somebody to have a room full of guitars like like a lot of people do. Right. Um, for a number of reasons, but I just get really attached to one or maybe two. And then I and I and I also kind of pick instruments based on that. Like I I need for them to be platforms. I need them to be yeah, solid. Yeah. I need them to be solid uh platforms that elicit the best out of me that I'm capable of. And then if I, you know, if I don't like, if I want to try something else sound wise, I can put in different pickups or different electronics. And I've gotten to the point where I do all that stuff myself. Um, So I need something that kind of allows that sort of experimentation, but also just provides a, the best foundation possible. And I've I've been lucky to find those instruments. Non sequiturs. So how many different bases do you think you've gone through through the years? make oh, this rotation. Yeah, I'd say at least as many years as I've been playing. I'd say I probably have owned 25 bases or so. So you got a good idea of what works. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and I'll, I'll also say a lot of them have been right for me at the time. And that's something that I try to, that's something I try to kind of uh, allow myself to be open to also is that something is right for you um, at a specific time, at a point in your career with with what you're into and may not be right for you later, or you may not be ready for something yet that you'll be ready for later. Um, moving to six string bass was one of those things for me. I played five string for, you know, for 15 years before and thought about sixes and just thought like, nah, I just don't need that. And I experimented with one and thought, nah, I'm still, this still isn't compelling uh, until the point that it was. And then when that happened, it was extraordinarily organic and made a ton of sense. And I tried it and I thought, yep, I can use this now. And uh, then I made that jump and that was about 10 or 12 years ago. And you've been solid on it ever since. Well, I've been been working towards it. Yeah. <laughs> working towards being solid on it. Well, the mastery of the platform is what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I just like, um, I, I feel about it like uh, there's a lot of traditional bassists out there. There's a lot of like traditional minded bassists. Uh, And there is this notion that you don't need any more than four strings because that's the way that it's always been done. Of course, these people are always, you know, negligent on their history and they're not aware that the upright bass once had five strings, once had six strings and frets, you know, has had three (laughs) strings before. So there's all kinds of different incarnations of uh, of the instrument that became the upright bass. That, that by the way, is a whole other podcast. That's a whole separate thing. (laughs) That's a whole separate thing. Maybe you'd like to come back and talk about history. Oh my god, that'd be great! I would love to. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, We'll we'll schedule it, make it happen sometime. But yeah, the way I feel about it with with uh, with having more strings, um, 
is that what artist, what painter would choose to have fewer colors on their palette? Like who would who would choose to limit themselves? And maybe maybe that's something that artists do. I don't know. Maybe that's sort of like something to spur your creativity in a certain way. But if I were going to be a painter, my, my mom's a painter and and visual arts kind of run in our family. Um, if I were going to do that, I would want to have access to as many options as possible. And that's kind of the way that I feel about the six-string bass is I can play um, vertically on the neck uh, more than I can on four-string or five-string bass. I can access more intervals and more notes uh, that are just not physically possible on other instruments. It's not about having more notes. It's about having increased more access. More options? More options. Yeah. More options. So for me, it's it's great for that. And since it contains the four strings of a normal bass in it, there's for me, there's no real reason to, to really have or play a four-string bass because I've, I've got them in there. Right. They're there. Absolutely. It's like having, you know, a nine-piece kit or something. You want to play a five-piece kit, you just take four of them away. <laughs> or you just, you just don't use four, but why? Yeah. Like you don't need a separate five-piece kit necessarily. You probably feel differently about that. Oh Well, actually, no. I prefer it. The reason I keep my drum set stripped down to just a kick, snare, and two toms is because when I go to a live gig... I am the sound man's friend. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's wise. That's wise. You're gonna you're gonna end up sounding sounding better because of it. Yeah, make, make friends. Because, yeah, just make, make it friends e- make it easy man, for those folks. guys, man. Because yeah. I I don't know how many times I've had sound men complain to me about the band that was just before us and yeah. having to mic up that gargantuan drum kit, which you know, <laughs> which the guy couldn't play to begin with. So <laughs> I just I just saw a funny meme that was is like some musicians are lucky enough to die as musicians. The other ones live long enough to become the sound man. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You're hitting close to home here. I, I thought that was pretty funny. I was like, oh, man. Hence, uh, you know, a lot of, us, studio, a lot of yeah. us have, you know, have yeah. run sound. And well, yeah, of it's course. definitely yeah. different being on that side of the that side of the board. Oh the man, I, I'm telling you what. Not only do you have, can you make enemies with the audience, but you can make enemies with the band. It's oh really- geez, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Talk about getting a thick skin quick. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it so uh, so is this this is not a vocal tune. It's just this is not a vocal like, tune. It's a yeah. It's just instrumental. It's very short, and it kind of divides the album in terms of energy. I think, and. Um, yeah, uh, the I, I really like. Uh, I, I was happy with the programming on it. So this is all stuff that I kind of manipulated heavily. Most of what I'm doing on this track is in the percussion, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of uh, sort of you know taking after my my square pushery idle sort of uh, thing. You know, there's there's a lot of manipulation of of pitch and repeats and all kinds of different filters and things, filtering drums and doing high pass and low pass things. So just kind of messing around with that. But All right. I think even as chaotic as the middle of that song is, I, th- I still find it relaxing. I don't know why. I, I wonder if other people will too. Well, that's that's an interesting... I mean, I, I don't see why not if it's if this song has been approached to properly and you created the move. I'm sure that the 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 overtones or the, uh, the, the bass is holding the that center together as as the drums come in and out yeah the bass is just playing a a purely looped um 
I guess, supportive kind of role. I mean, it's it's simultaneously playing uh, a melody and then harmonizing with itself and, and also playing root notes, but there's nothing going on. There's no soloing. There's no mm-hmm. no weedly weedlies. There's, there's nothing going on in the bass in that song. It's just all the drums. I kind of, like, for me, that, that song kind of, I envision, I envision somebody waking up of their own accord happy in the morning and like there's like nice sort of orange warm sunlight coming through a window and big hugs from nugs in the morning and big big hugs from the nugs yeah yeah my little kiddo i like to, I like to call her the 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 nugget or nugs for short um but yeah somebody kind of waking up like that and kind of being calm and serene and peaceful. And as the day goes on, maybe they go to work or they go out and they get into the thick of the day and, and the day's chaos kind of, you know, comes in but doesn't necessarily get overwhelming. And then the day fades and and the person is nice and serene and calm and mellow again uh, at the end of it. Great analogy. I like it. Yeah, um, yeah. I would have to see the track list in front of me. I think it's it's at least four. It may be okay. five. Yeah, so no fewer than four. The no one that five. comes to mind that you would like to talk to about talk about. Um, the one that comes to mind that I would like to talk about. Uh, I really, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty fond of a song called "Can't Pretend to Know." which is a brand new track. I mean, most of these are brand new, but a lot of them come from ideas that I've had for a while. Mm -hmm. But this one was all new, all completely new and came together very quickly. Um, Yeah, I like it a lot. It's a little bit of a different style of singing for me. In the the past, my greatest, (laughs) this almost sounds funny to mention because I'm nowhere near approaching this sort of ability in vocals, but my my greatest inspiration... um, for singing is really Marvin Gaye. I Ugh. love Marvin Gaye. Yeah, I love Marvin Gaye. Yeah, um, and I and I really just love old, you know, old like Motown soul, or you know, Stax soul, or what have you. I just really uh, Sam Cooke is another one. I really love those singers. I like the quality of their voice, especially Sam Cooke. He's got this great like sort of raspiness. That I wish yeah, I could. I, right, I wish right. I had that, but I, yeah, I wish I had anything that those guys have. So I often am trying when I'm writing lyrics and singing. I'm often trying to kind of uh, channel that vibe, and this song is one that I'm not doing that in, which is uh, kind of unusual for me. Mm-hmm. So it's it's an, a little bit of a lower register. It's a little bit more 
plain and and vulnerable. It's a okay. little more, you know, I think it's accessible. a song about relationships. It is actually, yeah, and it's not <laughs> keyword vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, good, good catch. Yeah, and it's not necessarily autobiographical. Um, I just. You know, it's an interesting thing. I wrote the music first. A lot of people there. I guess a lot of people want to know uh, how somebody writes music and and lyrics. You know, and whether they do it at the same time or whether one thing comes first. And the answer for me is that it's all of the above. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of different ways that it happens. And this time, it happened musically. The music came first, and almost got completely fleshed out. And I knew I wanted to sing on it. And I sat down after dinner. I sat down uh, before dinner one night and wrote half the song and then had dinner and then wrote the other half of the song. It came that quick. It came that quick. And that almost never happens. Yeah. Almost never happens. But it just it just kind of flowed. And uh, it's also something that I don't uh, do enough of that I'd like to do more, which is sort of storytelling. A lot of the stuff I write is just, you know, personal experiences. It's all you know, autobiographical or comes from something that I'm thinking or feeling. This is just some story that I didn't even know I had in me. It's just some, a story about a, a guy and a girl, um, two, two lovers. And, and they're kind of, they have very different, uh, ideas about what their, what their future holds. And the guy is kind of really eager and, and the, the woman is kind of <laughs> um, pensive and, and unsure about things. And it's just it just kind of wrote itself. It That's just was cool. pretty automatic. Yeah. Yeah. And so the instrumentation on that. The instrumentation is, again, sort of a, this one has even more of like a jungle sort of feel. So the, the drums have a really jungly um, feel more so than, than drum and bass because they're a little bit more regular. Um, but they also had that kind of tonality, the heavy snare drum driving sort of thing. Um, and, uh, I'm really into flamenco techniques I've and, noticed. And, and applying them to, to electric bass. I'm really, really it's interested pretty in cool. that. Thank you. It's really cool. Thank you. I would like to, I would like to think that that's part of my voice on the instrument that, is something that not everybody does. However, a lot of a lot of bass players certainly do uh, do that. And of course, even going back to, I mean, really, the guy who kind of pioneered that was Stanley Clark. <laughs> so a lot of us have Stanley Clark to thank for on his anything four string. like that. On his four string, on his short scale four string bass. A brief aside about Stanley Clark: I met him once at a at a bass player live event in Los Angeles, and I didn't know that he was like seven feet tall. I don't know if he's actually seven feet tall, but he seemed to me to be seven feet tall. And his hands are massive. And I shook his hand, and his hand—I don't have small hands—and his hand enveloped mine like it was. Uh, like a like a mitten or something. It was just incredible. And so he was this big man who's also clearly strong and has you know incredible chops from playing upright, incredible strength in his in his hands. Mm-hmm. Who then plays a short scale four string bass with narrow string spacing. And, yeah, you, know, <laughs> you can just beat the hell out of that thing. Well, you know who else locally does that is Jeff Harper. Jeff Harper. Yeah, okay. upright player, but when he's playing electric. <laughs> Just, he's another big guy, man. And that bass looks like a ukulele. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so small. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I should play upright for, you know, like cross training. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of this flamenco y sort of stuff. 
um, a technique specifically called rasgueado, rasgueado, um, that uh, is just sort of a, a chordal strumming thing that I like to do. So it's built on it's built on that. That's sort of the main hook, the main thing. It, it becomes the chorus uh, and the the intro to the song. And then there's just sort of like a ostinato. Um, I'm also really influenced by by Latin music, and I played in a salsa orchestra for for a couple of years. How cool! Um, so there's just sort of just this sort of Latiny kind of ostinato uh, repeated figure that that makes up the verses. And then there's a really cool bass solo at the end. Awesome! <laughs> because yeah, yeah. it's my record, damn it! And I want to <laughs> put a bass solo on it. So yeah, that's another one that I really like. I feel like this one has. I don't know if I've ever felt like I've written a pop song, but I feel like this one has m- the potential for more broad appeal. Okay, yeah. So hopefully that's true. Hopefully it catches on and people who are not bass players like it. And then all the bass purists are just going to be thumbing their nose at me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, yeah, too. Sean copped out. Yeah. <laughs> it's so. Why are you making that commercial crap? <laughs> it's, it, it's so funny. Well, that and just, you know, the, the different, the flamenco techniques and yeah. playing it on a six string bass and strumming. Beautiful. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's such a funny thing. And, and so many bass players feel like, um, I mean, there are a lot of adventurous bass players, so I definitely have to give credit where, where credit is due. And I think on on the whole, we're less uh, concerned with with vintageness and doing things the way that they always were as guitarists are. Mm-hmm. I think they're even worse in that in that sense sometimes. Well, they're definitely caught into the sound. Yeah, right. And, Big time. and vintage instruments and vintage amplifiers and vintage technology. And, yeah, well, uh, I, I'm guilty of that. You saw that. You saw the the Deville and also for sure. and, yeah. and also the Rivera coming up the hallway. So yeah, well, <laughs> stuff that sounds good sounds good. So I yeah. completely understand that. Yeah. But I think a lot of bass players feel like uh, there's there's this notion that you can't play these different types of instruments. You can't play a fan fret bass or a six string bass or a five string or, or a class D amp or something like that and still be like a working bass player. You know, that it's gonna not work for the artist or that visually it's it's not gonna fit the bill or whatever. And I I'm here to tell you that I've had a whole career of doing that. And the only people that will tell you uh, that you shouldn't do something for the most part, are other bass players because no one else gives a damn or even notices what you're playing, you know? I mean, no one else... I played with a country artist for, like, eight months before she noticed I had a six-string bass. <laughs> that's that's totally true. Well, let's, let's not talk about paying attention to our environment. <laughs> right, yeah. Situational awareness. And they don't care. You know, and and, that, and that's okay. I'm not saying yeah, that that's no. like a bad thing because it just doesn't matter. Well, as she long as she's happy with t- what I was playing, exactly. what I was doing, and and you know you you know you know your uh, stylistic constraints, right? And so yeah, as long as you got the tone, man. sure, right. If yeah. I if I hire like a guy to come do you know drywall work or something, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first thing came to mind, and he brings a five hundred dollar hammer. I don't care that he's got a $500 hammer and not a $20 hammer. Right, like, exactly. That's exactly did right. Did you put up the drywall? Cool. <laughs> All right, good deal. That's what I hired you for. Yeah, that's In exactly In fact, right. I wasn't even watching. <laughs> no, you were busy composing all that. Was right. So I can't pretend to know
Led Zeppelin uh, cover. Yeah. What inspired that? Oh, man. The song is No Quarter, and I just love that song. So to anybody listening, if you haven't heard No Quarter by Led Zeppelin, you have to listen to that first. And that is just... Um, I've always, I mean, I've I've liked Led Zeppelin for a long, long time, but but No Quarter always just appealed to me. It has this moodiness. I, I guess I'm kind of, I'm not like a moody person in real life, but I'm drawn to moody music. Mm-hmm. And it's just got this really cool kind of s- sort of like Viking-y, sort of Celtic-y <laughs> moodiness and slowness. This, not this Led mystery. Zeppelin, no way. You're no right, way. Right, not those guys. Okay, not those guys. Who just picked a bunch of symbols <laughs> to represent themselves. And, uh, yeah, it just has this cool vibe. And, and I, when, whenever I heard it, uh, I always had really strong mental imagery. And one of the things I'm happiest about in my, my homage to it, it's really I almost can't even call it a cover, it doesn't have this is this one's instrumental, so it doesn't have any singing. It's just an instrumental cover. Um, but one of the things I'm happy that I was able to achieve is that I I still get the same kind of imagery and the same vibe when I hear the version that I did that I hear when uh, in their version, and that's kind of what I like so much about it in the first place. So I'm happy I got that. But I kind of when I listen to their version, I envision um, dudes. Like in some sort of party, like a, like a hunting party or some sort. Almost, Lord, of course, Lord of the Ringsy. There's another big Zeppelin sort of thing. But yep. I envision sort of a, a group of people having fallen, you know, on on hard times and stuff, and they're like trudging through snow in the middle of the night. And but there's a full moon, so the snow is really brightly lit, and there's like pine trees around, and and they're just sort of like trying to make it to wherever they need to make it, and things are not going great, you know, and they're cold and they're kind of miserable, and and I guess Yet a lot determined. of determined, yeah, deter, very determined, and, and I guess a lot of that comes just directly from the lyrics of you know of the original song. Um, of course, now I can't really think of the specific ones but uh well i, I mean in one that says they're wearing steel that's bright and true which you might think of as being like a suit of armor but i don't envision armor i, I envision kind of like cloth boots mm-hmm. you know like like sort of animal skin boots and like a, a cape for warmth you know not like a superhero cape but you know like an animal sure, skin cape right. or something bear and, skin and maybe the steel is is a sword you know these guys definitely have swords <laughs> When I, when I think about it, they definitely have swords. Um, so yeah, uh, geez, what else can I say about that? I just I, I just love all that imagery, and I like the moodiness of it, and the uncertainty of it, and the mysteriousness, and and all that stuff. The the mythical sort of quality. Uh, I just love the song, obviously. So I I wanted to do my little homage to it. And it's it's out of time. I wanted to do like a very rubato thing, so the majority of the song, except for the choruses, are completely free time. Interesting. That must all. have been an interesting exercise in mixing. <laughs> yeah, well, it was actually really tr- tough to to record. Yeah, I bet. because yeah. I wanted so the the drums and and I wanted the bass playing obviously to match the drums um, are in are in time in the choruses. The they they take the path where no one goes, and then the I mean not, that part's there's not singing in there, but I'm playing that melody on the bass, 
And then you have the that great like Jimmy that Page hook, riff. Yeah. Uh, and I kept that and kind of modified it a little bit. And I wanted all that part to be in time and create a really strong, just, you know, really intense head bobbing groove there. And I have these big, big drums and they're going boom, boom, yeah, I think that is Led Zeppelin Four, isn't it? Yeah, that is that album is a masterpiece, man. Oh, jeez, so great, so great. So yeah, it was hard to record because I was going in and out of of time. And if you have like a click going when you're trying to play out of time, it's really just distracting. Right. So I had to get good at um, sort of looking at my DAW and and looking to see. Where I kind of was beat sync wise when I was coming up to where the chorus was was going to be about two measures before or something, and then start kind of merging my playing to be in time. Was this a completely solo song that you just did with your your drum parts and your bass? Yeah, it is. It's actually Voices. very simple. Yeah, it's like really, really simple. It's just my bass and and drum programming. And there, I'm also doing, I mean, I'm doing some heavily affected stuff on my bass. It's not just a single bass part, but all the parts that are not drums were recorded with that bass. And I'm doing Leslie organ stuff, you know, to try to do like what, what John Paul Jones was doing with the organ on that right. song. Um, creating spatial and atmospheric things and like a, like a rotating speaker Leslie vibe. So that's in there. And, and then, the, you know, there's also, of course, some... Uh, you know, some more soloing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really intrigued by this. So what you did, if and correct me if I'm wrong, so you actually set up your chorus positioning on your DAW and then you watched, without, without playing a click, you watched the DAW while you were playing your parts and when you would get close to the chorus, then you would sink into time. Yeah, there. that's right. And it took a it took a bunch of tries. It took <laughs> no, it really? was really difficult. <laughs> it was really hard. And this is one oh, of those really yeah. Right. <laughs> this is one of those those places where I feel like I'm really excited for for the technology of digital recording to to grow and to become more musician like because this is one of those those times and, and I use Ableton Live which is really good for this sort of thing and kind of you know uh, incorporates a lot of uh, modern ways of doing things um, there might be a way to do this better but I'm, I'm really excited for a time when sort of machine learning or machine awareness of uh, of of real time things for for a musician and helps virtual to make that reality work right like because like when you are playing in a in a room with another musician that's the easiest thing in the world to do you're just making eye contact and you're like, you know, one of you starts kind of bobbing your head to... It's to, a, a side note. It's relative easiness. Re relative. <laughs> but it's a lot easier than doing ah, it Anybody could yourself. do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough. <laughs> but, you know, but you can kind of like, you, you do this nonverbal communication and you also pick up on each other's cues and nuances. And you'd think with how complex a lot of this stuff has gotten that that would be easier to do. Um, and maybe there's a better way to do it, but I don't know it if there is. So if somebody knows of a better way, please let me know. But yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited for 
uh, for Dawes, especially Ableton, uh, but anybody else who kind of wants to come up in that field, anybody else who wants to challenge the, the Goliath that Ableton is right now for live music production and electronic music and stuff like that. Um, I'm excited for there to be more of uh, more of a sense of um, machine musicianship uh, where you don't always have to be playing to a quantized click, you know, because mm-hmm. if right now, if you want to play live, this is a big issue that I've had playing live with, with backing tracks. If you want to play live, you have to play to the computer. You play a hundred percent to the computer. The computer plays 0% to you. And what That's I, correct. what I'm excited about is, is a time when, and I, I guess there's kind of been some advancements here. I just don't know about them all yet, but I'm excited for yeah, the advancements called editing. Right. <laughs> But I think, I'm going to slide this over to here, do I? <laughs> but I think I think people have kind of done interesting things with room microphones and and like creating beats or like like uh, setting up like a something that's that's listening for a regular uh, recurring beat or impulse or something like that that then is mapped to the BPM of what's going on so that the computer can play more to you. Ideally. What I want is a computer that acts like a drummer that can that can or not necessarily a drummer, but another musician that can respond to you. Right. You know, in real time. Like, you know, let's say during that verse, whoops, I end up getting too excited. Now I'm playing five BPM faster than I was, you know, during the last time. I want the computer to be able to to recognize that and then meet that. It's rather probably than, coming. I hope it is. Yeah. I hope it is. I mean Look at a lot of the, you were talking about R and B earlier. How many of those songs, when they were recorded, by the time this song is done, it's ten BPM faster than at the beginning? Oh yeah, oh yeah, tons of them. Absolutely, yeah, tons. And I'm just fine with that. I'm cool with that. Well, you and know, things, I, things I, don't need to be metronomic. They they don't need to be metronomic. Uh, for me, I mean, it be, becoming metronomic what is what clued me into that. I had no idea when I was 18 years old that Chameleon was like, it ends twice as fast <laughs> as it started. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they get really excited in yeah, that song. Yeah, they get really excited on that song. <laughs> they get full-on gig speed on that gig tempo. Yeah, and that's okay, because I think music should be that way, frankly. I mean, I, I well... That's a big well, statement. It, well, to you make. know what? No, actually, I guess, I, it's, I've seen so many live performances where that happens, and yeah. it's a ju- it's part of the natural flow. Yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. It's part of the natural flow. I guess some music works better that way, or when it has the freedom to be that way. Mm-hmm. Some other music works better, you know, maintaining something that that's like just artificially. Um, kept to a very specific BPM, like dance music, I think is probably right. a lot better for that. So I guess there's room in the musical world for both of those things. Um, but it'd be nice to not have to have like somebody who is a laptop player, because the only way that I know of in a live setting to get all that stuff to work, like I was talking about, where the the samples and everything are following you, is to have somebody manning the laptop. So it still requires somebody being an electronic musician. Uh, which is cool, actually. I think that's a cool job in a band to to do. And and, and Combinator actually had somebody named Jeremy Bellivo. Hey, Jeremy, um, uh, who was doing that for us for a while, which is really cool. But then that still requires another person, right? And then if they have, you know, if they have like what God Cloud has, if they have like you know the the MPC with all the samples and a synth and whatever else they want, then I mean, you, I guess you don't, you may not even really need the computer at all. They can just be the electronicist. 
Well, I, I know a guy down in Eugene. His name is Bobby Green. Bobby, I don't know if you remember Bobby me Bobby Green and Eugene. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, that guy is the human interface, man. He walks in. He's got he's got his vinyl tables. He's got his CD tables. He has a full-on rack of, of processors, hmm. his laptop in hand, and the guy real-time will spin in vocals off of vinyl and back with the live band. Wow. Yeah, he's a monster, man. Bobby Green... Kudos to you, buddy. Yeah, Don't know Bobby. If you're, hopefully you hear this. Zappa song was that a, a, was it the guy named Bobby Brown? I I don't know. Yeah. Hey there, people, I'm Bobby Brown. Yeah, I think wait, was it Bobby Brown? Yeah, Bobby Green makes me think of yeah. Yeah, it must be Brown. Yeah, I ran into him at a jam session down in Eugene. Years oh yeah, ago. Frank just, Zappa. Yeah, totally. No, not Frank Zappa, yeah. Bobby Green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> So hey, we discussed the album. So yeah. uh, maybe some. We'll finish up on some personal philosophies. Sure. Uh, <laughs> would you Would you care to direct that a little? Yeah. Bit uh, so sure. you, how about the the inspirations that your pre, your past inspirations that have brought you to this point? Uh, we discussed yeah. Zeppelin. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm really interested in um, in kind of exploration. I guess in in a in the the smallest word possible to explain all the stuff that now I'm not, now I'm going to explain a bunch of other big words uh, is is just well, exploration. Well, it's good because I, I'm a little limited on my vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, I just I'm, I'm interested in doing stuff that hasn't been done before or that it just hasn't been done to death. Uh, I'm just I'm just kind of focused on on the future and I I, I that's just, that's what excites me about playing music and about making music and that's I think that's thematically a big thing for me both in music and in in life in general I'm just really interested in progressive things um, and it's not always that I that I have a disdain for the way that something was done before I mean frankly sometimes it is Sometimes I think that we, we've improved upon a certain process or a certain sound or a type of instrument or a way of thinking, you know. But, but in general, I just am interested uh, to be looking towards the horizon rather than in the rearview mirror. And uh, so that's a big thematic thing for me, I think, in, in life in general. And since it's a big theme in life, it definitely plays into the musical aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just trying to kind of explore new territory, um, to not rest on my laurels too much and to just kind of do, you know, to, to, to see what can be done because I'm really confused about the meaning of life. 
<laughs> frankly. Oh, are you? There, there's a big, I suggest Victor Frankel. <laughs> there's a I, which I, you've read. I I, I actually I, think, I don't know. I think oh, oh uh, Victor Frankel was uh, a a prisoner in a concentration camp. Oh, uh, he's Austrian psychiatrist. Oh wow! And came out on the other side of that with his his definition and interpretation of psychology. Oh wow! Well, yeah. Geez. Okay. It's it's uh, the book is called uh, "Man's Search for Meaning." Mm. Well, there you go. It's yeah. all of that. I mean, it's like the yeah. oldest question in the, the world. That's exactly right. You yeah. know, it's nothing. It's nothing new. And I guess we're all kind of dealing with it in our own way. But I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm concerned with or or I'm I'm aware of mortality. You know, sometimes I'm too aware of it. I think, and, and I, and I kind of want. I don't really know what sense it it makes to to live a life that doesn't have some sort of impact. Mm -hmm. But of course, I mean, there's a bunch of arguments you can make. I mean, one is that there's billions, literally, you know, seven billion something people in the world. Not everybody can have massive impact on the rest of all the people. And then the other the other thought is that, you know, everybody's constantly having impact on everybody else, whether you know it or not, butterfly effect, that sort of thing. Sure. I just, uh, just trying to find some sort of, um, you know, meaning and sort of leaving something interesting that that persists after I'm gone, I think is another. Right. Another We've got thing. Nugs and she's going to be a monster yeah. bass player by the time she's 10. Yeah. <laughs> she might be. She yeah. might be. She really, she's got her couple of xylophones and she loves banging cool, on those things. Oh man. And that's awesome. She uses her hairbrush as a, as like a, like a drum batter, you know? Yeah. So, Yeah. Very um, cool. Yeah, that's yeah, that's one way that we've all figured out, right? To live on through through children. That's, yeah, that's that's definitely one one way to do it. And I just, I guess, I hope that I can, I hope that I can make some kind of contribution uh, that means something to somebody um, musically. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like that's now my chosen field. That's kind of the place that I'm most likely outside of you know raising a, a human being and and all and being somewhat involved in or responsible for some of the choices that they're going to make and the way that they're going to change the world. Aside from that, the only thing I guess I can really hope to to do is uh, is make some music that people like. Yeah. So trying to figure that all out. That's oh. I'm just confused most of the time. <laughs> well, um, welcome welcome to life, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. So we want to get you back at some point. And I mean, you seemed like you were really excited about talking about music history. Oh, man, I would love yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. well, we'll have to reschedule that. Hey, so uh, why don't you do the plug for your project one more time and then we'll call it a show. Well, yes, sir, Brian Hart. Here we go. <laughs> Combinator's Ear Goggle Fodder comes out November 20th. Yeah, the album comes out November 20th everywhere. You can you can actually pre-save it on Spotify. If you're a Spotify user, you can do something they call a pre-save. Um, find one of my social media accounts on Facebook or Instagram under Sean on Bass. It's S-E-A-N-O-N-B-A-S-S uh, for more information on how to do that. But um, yeah, the album comes out on the 20th. You can pre-save it on Spotify so that you're notified when it is available for streaming. Uh, and, and on the 20th, it'll be out everywhere, like I said before. So anywhere you like to go for music, 
20th is your date, November 20th. November 6th, it is available for pre-sale on iTunes and Bandcamp. That's combinator.bandcamp.com. And in fact, you can go there right now and pre-order the album and get a get a track to listen to in the meanwhile, and then you'll be notified when the rest of the tracks are available. Very and cool. that is What's Up. All right. Well, Sean Fairchild, this has been awesome. We're going to have you back. All right. Brian at Mac and Cheese. Out for now. (laughs) Thanks, Brian. Thank you guys for listening. Hey, thanks for listening. That pretty much wraps it up for today. Hey, Bruno, you got any last words? I am the nemesis of Brian. And you got that going for you. Hey, you want more mac and cheese? Mac and cheese music.blog on YouTube at Brian at Mac and Cheese, Instagram and Twitter www.macandcheese.com and thank you anchor.fm for hosting this podcast take it away Bruno give me more reverb <laughs> <laughs>